Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. Okay, a couple quick programming notes. If you want to learn the do's and don'ts, if you're planning to go to a nude beach, um, you can tech, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to that story. That in and of itself is worth the price of admission. During the one o'clock hour, we're going to be talking about this really gossipy report. And I understand people love gossipy reports. It's in the Bleacher Report. It's a lengthy story about Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. And candidly, it doesn't paint either one of them in a very favorable light, but it's it's very gossipy and stuff. If you want to see it, we, we make it easy for you. There's two ways you can do it. If you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a tweet with a link to the story, and it's relatively long. In addition, if you text us, and our text line is 414-799-1620, if you text us, the name Rogers, and a number of people are misspelling Rogers. Aaron Rogers, it's R-O-D-G-E-R-S. If you text us R-O-D-G-E-R-S, we will, you'll automatically get a link. If you just simply text us Rogers, nothing is going to happen, R-O-G-E-R-S. So there's a D in there. Easier way to do it, just follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 and it is right there for you. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. Wanted to give everybody a chance to get to see it. A lot of stuff before that, though. Let us get started. Adam Jones is a right fielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The other night, he's playing in San Diego. Interestingly enough, he, he's from San Diego, so it, it's his hometown. Um, Adam Jones is also African-American. So he's he's playing in right field in his hometown in San Diego, but he's playing for the Arizona team. And he's out in right field, and apparently what's happening is there is a fan who is in the right field bleachers who is screaming at him. Now, he's not screaming racial slurs, but what he's doing is he's screaming at him using a number of obscenities. He's using the F word. He's talking about, well, just uh, imagine the type of language. And he's out there at this public place, and he's screaming. So at one point in time, apparently Adam Jones has enough of this. Now, and again, it, it's not racial slurs, but it, it's obscenities. The guy is just cursing at him. And so what Adam Jones does is he goes over to one of the ushers, and he says, I want that guy thrown out of here. And they throw him out. And this becomes a bit of a story afterwards. And this is what Jones says. He says, man, I mean, fans in sports are starting to get more brazen. Um, I, I've had altercations with fans in the past. But, you know, the, the bottom line is there's kids in the stadium. The second that you start cussing me out like I'm a little kid, that's a no-no. On the street, nobody would ever do that. In the ballpark, when you've paid your admission, they think they get an entitlement to do that. And he has the guy thrown out. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As somebody who goes to 
lots of sporting events as a fan, and lots of other events as well. I have been struck about how how crowds have become, what's the phrase I'm looking for, just a lot more coarse, and, and how, I mean, 25 years ago, you'd never be screaming the F word at, at a player. You wouldn't be using that, or at least in most places, you wouldn't be using that in polite society. But nowadays, maybe it's because Everybody talks like that, or it seems like a lot of people talk like that. Maybe it's because every time you turn on a cable television show or you go to the movies, you're seeing these words be thrown around. And I appreciate that our societies become more coarse. But in this particular case, you've got this outfielder who says, I'm sick of having people curse at me. And yes, if you're going to come out there and scream at me and you're going to curse at me, not again, not racial slurs, but you're just going to use language that you I think is unacceptable. Yeah, I'm going to ask to have you tossed out. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you pay your money, should you, does, does anything pretty much go? Now, again, not racial slurs, but if you want to sit in the stands and you want to scream obscenities at a player or whatever, do you have a right to do it or is it right for the, the ballpark to say, okay, you got to leave? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Mark sends me a text that, Jeff, I went to the freeze-out Bears-Packers game at Soldier Field with a friend who got way too drunk and was acting in the same fashion you're describing. I was praying that security would pull him. Not only was it extremely embarrassing, I was getting a lot of dirty looks just being there with him. It was totally inappropriate behavior, and that's coming from a friend. Um, here's another text. Uh, Jeff, my granddaughter is 10. I've stopped taking her to Brewers games because of the language in the stands. 414-799-1620. Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What do you think? Uh, the last text are still a little bit my thunder. I, I agree. I have younger children. I will still take them to a Brewer game. I've stopped taking them to Packer games for this very reason. And my other comment is you can't walk into any other public place where people are employed and start swearing or, or cursing at right. them and expect to have any kind of... You're going to be thrown out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right. If you're if you're if you're in Joe's diner and, and you're in the back and you're using language that I think most of us still would be agree is unacceptable, and you're using it at a high and there's it's it's a family diner or something. The the waitress or the host or the hostess or somebody's going to come over and say, "Hey, you got to dial this down, or else I'm sorry, you're going to have to leave." Not everybody wants to hear you know you talking you know using that kind of language, and and you know you're going to have to leave. And if you don't like it, well then go find someplace else. They don't they don't care. Exactly. I've actually personally turned to people and made comments to them when I have my children with them saying, hey, it's your own prerogative. Do what you're doing. But see this, I've got a child. Do you really want to influence them like that? It's, it's right. bad decorum. People need to grow up. No, no. Th- thanks for the call. I mean, I, I'll tell you, it was a um, – and I don't mean to pick on the Brewers. I, I like the Brewers game experience, but I, it was a, a couple years ago, and I was there with some younger – Oh, no, okay. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't my younger. It was. There were some younger children in the row behind me with their parents, 
And two rows back, there was, again, one of these sort of leather-lunged people, and every third word, it seemed like, was the F word or whatever, and they're saying it loud. And at one point in time, you just, you just kind of turn around, and you make eye contact, and I'm sort of looking at him, and I'm kind of pointing to the kids. And, uh, of course, sometimes people get it, and sometimes they, they don't. But just because you buy a ticket doesn't give you, at least in my opinion, a right to act in a boorish fashion. And I, I applaud this this ball player. I mean, look, I, I understand, you know, it, it comes with the territory. Ryan Braun goes on the road. He gets heckled. People yell all sorts of things at him. But that's different than, you know, cursing him at the top of your lungs for a continuous basis. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you uh, think? I, I agree with the other callers, too, because I think that there's a place where none of this is acceptable. You know, using the F word, you can call a, a guy a bum or a jerk or you know, right. you're a lousy player. But, I mean, uh, even if you're, like, at a bar or restaurant and you start using the F word bomb, you know, all the time, you're going to get thrown out. Well, well and, and you should be. <laughs> right. right, yeah. And just because you're there with 25,000 other people and you're sitting in the stands and the guys in the outfield that he's playing, it's still it, – it, it's just it's not only just not right to the player. And I understand I'm not too sympathetic to players. They get played a ton of money. But it is – it's everybody else that's around there. That's just not an environment that you want to take, you know, that, that you want to be sitting there with your wife. It's not the environment that you want to be sitting there with your kids or your grandkids. And I, I think this outfielder had every right to do what he did. I'm only a little bit disappointed that he had to do it. You would have thought the ushers would have been more aggressive on this. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, that, that to me, it's not so much, okay, it was Adam Jones, you know, who's, you know, playing for the Arizona team. It, was he, it wasn't so much was he out of line and asking to have the guy tossed out. It's kind of like, okay, you know, where was the usher in the first place? Because my guess is that there were all sorts of other people that were sitting in the stands that were probably doing what many of us do when you hear these foul-mouthed leather lungs going off. They're kind of like rolling their eyes, and, and nobody wants to provoke a confrontation, but everybody's like, God, I wish they would just toss this guy out because I don't want to be sitting here and hearing this kind of language, and I'm not a prude, okay? I, I'm familiar with that kind of language, and I admit that from time to time a bad word comes out of my mouth, but I'm not going to sit and scream that at the top of my lungs. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave in Green Bay. Hi, Dave. Hello. Uh, great great topic. You know, my, my comment on it is is there's probably a code of conduct on the ticket or that the, whether it's the, you know, the baseball or the football or whatever, the NFL has a code of conduct for fans. Right. And it's going to say right on there, loud or offensive language will not be tolerated. Right. And, and, and my example will be that I do, um, in Green Bay game day security for the Packers. Okay. And I, if I'm on the field and I would hear something like that, I would give the fan a warning. Right. You go up and you say, sir, you got to dial it down. Right. I would give him a warning and probably a written warning. And then if it continued, I would get a police officer and we would remove that person. Right, and, uh, because you're you're that's the out way there. It has to be. Well, right. It, it's not, and then and the guy is probably now. My guess is most of the people that you deal with that are like that probably have have had too much to drink. My guess is alcohol Correct. kind of fuels some of that. But some people just might be jerks. And I I bought this ticket. I'm going to be able to scream whatever I want. Well, okay. No, you're you're in a public place, and yes, you bought a ticket, but that doesn't give you a right to ruin the enjoyment of a game that everybody else is experiencing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. No. Thanks. For, I mean, I, I I I've told the story before, so bear with me if you heard it. But I mean, a number number of years ago, went to a Bucks game. This is back when Jason Kidd, who you know, the former coach of the Bucks, he was playing, and I think he was playing for New Jersey at the time, and he had just been charged with spousal abuse or something like that. And this guy behind me, he he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, "Wife beater." All right, so every time Jason Kidd touches the ball, and Jason Kidd was the point guard, so he touched the ball a lot, this guy is screaming at the top of his lungs, wife beater. And I don't know if it was ever clever, but if it was clever the first or second time, trust me, by the 50th time he shouted this at the top of his lungs, everybody was sick of it, and people are starting to look at him. This was a number of years ago, and and he's like, well, I'm not cursing. I can say what I want. And, again, maybe that's sort of just being obnoxious is, is a fine line. But, you know, certainly when you're throwing around the language that this guy was throwing around the other night, that clearly, in my opinion, at least crosses whatever line there is. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, I'm listening to people that are really echoing some of the things that I have seen. Uh, A few years ago, we were at uh, Miller Park, and there were guys sitting behind me. Guys, maybe they had too much to drink. I don't know, but... They started using the F word, and, you know, my wife is there. Yeah. And there's other women in the area, and I turned around and I said, uh, guys, this is not the kind of language you need to use around around here. Right. And I said, you know, uh, then when they didn't do it, I said, and I told yeah. them what I was going to do, I said, I'll get an usher. Right. And the usher came and <laughs> took them. God bless, the, uh, God bless the usher. They took them out. And there was an incident years ago at County Stadium, probably about a year or two before they moved to Miller Park. And we were in the upper grandstand, and two guys, before the game actually started, they had a beer in each hand. Yeah. They go up the stairs, you know, they sit down. Two innings later, they come down. Two more beers, one in each hand, they go right. back up. This repeated itself about four times. The last time, they almost knocked a little three- or four-year-old girl uh, while she was on the stairs down, and I had had enough. So I went to the usher who voted for Roosevelt, and I don't (laughs) mean Franklin. Right. (laughs) I don't mean FDR. And so what's this frail older gentleman going to do? Uh, So then I decided, well, let's get the county sheriff involved. They sent four. And they each went up two sides, you know. Right. And these these two drunks were actually crouching, hiding behind a really nice African-American family there with their children. So here are these two drunks behind them, and the sheriffs took them out. Yep. And everybody, not only in our section, but the section on either side, stood up and applauded. Right. So this kind of language, this kind of behavior has absolutely no place anywhere exactly no thanks to call and i mean i think you know that's one of the message that goes out that needs to go out to teams and i look and i i understand i i look i'm passionate when i go to brewers games or packers games or marquette games or bucks games i mean I, i'm passionate and and you want to applaud the good plays and i understand when the refs make the bad calls or the umps make the bad calls i think it's appropriate to boo and and maybe it's appropriate to heckle to an extent 
but but there are lines and i think we all know what those lines are and and i think you know in this particular case this outfielder for arizona who interestingly is a san diego guy you know he, they're playing in san diego that's his hometown and i think he's like hey man you know i i'm from here you know do do better buddy dave in whitewater dave you're on wtmj Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Dave. So, a couple things. I, I went to 14 games at Miller Park last year, including playoffs, and I, I really didn't see, you know, this kind of incident right. at all or anything approaching it. It's not that I haven't seen that in Milwaukee. I have. But I think part of the reason that maybe, you know, this doesn't uh, bubble up as much here is at Miller Park they do have uh, a mechanism whereby you can text problems with fan behavior anonymously right you just you give them the section number and the type of behavior problem and i've seen it responded to yeah um that being said it's like you know the kind of thing that that you're talking about in san diego they're totally inappropriate i do remember probably 20 years ago taking my then like five or six year old son to a brewers game at at county stadium and we sat behind the visitors dugout and you know, we heckled Ken Griffey sure. Jr. a little bit, you know, like, hey, you're going to strike out. Right. And I, I think that's the thing that's part of the game. But yes. where where you're constantly berating a player, whether you're using using racial slurs or even, even obscenities, right. I think that can go too far. And I think it's totally warranted. And I think fans should hold other fans accountable yeah. for that. No, I, I think so. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, and again, it's. It's I, I, and I think you know there needs to be bright lines now. Clearly, a racial slur to me, boom. You know, you 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 do that, you're you're gone. You know, history. You know, the, the repeated use of the obscenities and things like that. And like I say, I mean, I understand that, especially as times have changed over the years, language has gotten coarser. It's more acceptable to use certain language than maybe it was twenty or thirty years ago. But that doesn't mean you get to scream it at the top of your lungs simply because you bought a ticket. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back Tuesday night. Wisconsin shocked the country with the results of the Supreme Court race. The conservative candidate, Brian Hagedorn, who had been written off by many people in the state, including some conservative groups, also, he had been written off nationwide by a number of groups. He ended up pulling one of the more stunning upsets in Wisconsin political history. He beat the liberal-backed candidate, Lisa Neubauer. Now, th- this you got to understand what a shock this, this was, because everybody assumed that Neubauer would win the race. Neubauer had a huge fundraising advantage. She had a couple of these outside groups that came in, spent a ton of money labeling Judge Hagedorn, who was the conservative, a- as a hater because he is an evangelical Christian, and because as an evangelical Christian, he has had writings, and you know, he, he said, regardless of what the law is, his religion teaches him, for example, that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, he, he's never said, I, I'm not going to follow the law of this land that says that, you know, if you're same-sex, you're entitled to get married, but yeah, I... My, this is what my religion teaches me. And he was attacked for that. You saw all these ads, hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on saying, oh, he's a hater. He's a hater. And those ads scared a couple traditional business groups away from supporting him. Well, something interesting started to happen in the last couple of weeks of the campaign. And that is, instead of 
just curling up in a ball and going into a corner and apologizing. What Judge Hagedorn did is he came out swinging. He said, yes. He said, these are my beliefs. Now, these are my personal beliefs. It doesn't affect what I do as a judge. But, you know, this is the height of religious bigotry that you are going to attack me for these positions. And you know what? That attitude resonated I think with voters. Now, I was watching the election returns as they were coming in Tuesday night, and it was interesting because with about 70% of the vote in, Lisa Neubauer was ahead by 20 or 30,000 votes. But as I always tell you when you watch elections, it's not what the current vote count is. It's where are the votes coming from? She won Madison in a big way. But, you know, she ended up, you know, only winning about 20 or 21 of Wisconsin's 72 counties. Hagedorn won 50 of the counties. He outperformed other candidates and Scott Walker in the Fox Valley and, and generally throughout the state. And at the end of the day, he wins by about 6,000 votes. Now, interestingly, the Associated Press yesterday, there, there's still... And the the Associated Press, in, in many respects, in Wisconsin, and the reporter that writes for them, sort of an an unpaid arm of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. But uh, the Associated Press is still declining to declare a winner in the race because there might be a recount. And and actually, I sent out a tweet about this yesterday. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. And the tweet said, note to the Associated Press, the fact that you won't say it doesn't mean it didn't happen. The election is over. Judge Hagedorn won. No thanks to the way this race was covered by some in the mainstream media. I say that because Hagedorn has a he's about 5,800 votes ahead, close to actually closer to 6,000. If you look at the history of statewide recounts, there's never been one that flipped more than 300 votes. 5,800 votes is an insurmountable lead unless they suddenly find thousands of ballots hidden on the floor in Dane County or something, which isn't going to happen. Brian Hagedorn has won the Supreme Court race. I think what turned it around was a backlash to the attacks on his evangelical Christian beliefs. I think there's a lot of people who thought, you know, this is just going, this is too far. This is unfair. And I think what happened is a lot of people who got turned off by the the labeling of, of Judge Hagedorn as a hater or, you know, uh, he... He, he spoke to hate groups. Well, the hate group he spoke to was one of the groups that was responsible for defending the guy who, who didn't want to make the, the cake for the same-sex couple. All right, I, I think a lot of people realized, regardless of how you feel on these sexual orientation issues, just because your religious teachings tells you that, for example, marriage is between a man and a woman, that doesn't make you a hater. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm reading this morning stories in the Washington Post, in the New York Times, in the Wall Street Journal. A lot of the pundits, nobody saw this Hagedorn win coming. Nobody did. And now people are saying, okay, well, what does this mean moving forward? The liberal one in Wisconsin for the last Supreme Court race, um, Tony Evers narrowly beat Scott Walker. Now you have the conservative candidates that's won. What does this mean for Wisconsin in 2020? Before we can ask that question, I want to have kind of an open-ended discussion because I know many of you are political junkies. I was surprised at the election results from Tuesday. I think most people were surprised. 
What happened? Why was Hagedorn able to pull this out? And yes, despite what the Associated Press says, Hagedorn was able to pull it out. He's won the race. 414-799-1620. What happened and how did this happen? We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So what happened in the Hagedorn win, and what does it mean moving forward? I will tell you, if you read a lot of the national commentary, the Washington Post, the New York Times, you have a lot of people who are drawing the conclusion from Tuesday's election that maybe Wisconsin isn't in the bag for Democrats in 2020, and maybe this bodes well if Donald Trump runs for re-election. Carol and Franklin. Carol, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Carol. Hi. Hi, Carol. What do you think? So not enough people got out and voted, first of all. You know what I mean? So in regards to you guys are talking about Wisconsin not being Democrat, I'm going to speak for all the, let's just say, we all need to get together. So we can't do this Democrat-Republican thing anymore, you know, first of all. TMJ always focuses on the Republican. Okay, well, I, want, I want to talk about, Kara, I want to talk about the Hagedorn election. Why did he win? Sure, exactly, because not enough people got out and voted. A lot of people that I talked to didn't even know there was an election going on. Okay. Would you, well, you just so you know, turnout in Dane County, Lisa Neubauer, I believe, got more votes in a nonpartisan statewide election than John Kerry got when he was running for president. So they're, you know, percentage-wise, these these the, the nonpartisan, the April elections always draw less. But it wasn't like there there wasn't turnout. I mean, a lot of people for that kind of election came out. But if you look at a lot of the votes, that came from the north for Hageman. Yes. You know what I mean? They came from the north, and those some of those people, their mindset is where it needs to be. You know what I mean? But out in the Milwaukee area, I talked to a lot of people, even the young people. They didn't even know that there, anything was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the, I think the part of the Democrats is that we have to get people out and vote. The older people, they, they will go out and vote, and they'll, they'll, they'll always stay on the side that they need to sign. We need to get the younger people out and vote. So thank you very much, and everyone have a good day. Okay, well, I, I guess I, I, I'm not quite sure the point. I mean, it, as as I mean, all right. The nonpartisan April races always draw fewer voters than, for example, a presidential race race does. So, I mean, that that's kind of a tough comparison. But if if you look at the turnout, I mean, the, the turnout was kind of a representative one. As a matter of fact, now the interesting point to me, Carol, that, that I think you make is one of the reasons Hagedorn was able to win by six thousand votes is he did do extremely well in the Fox. River Valley. I mean, Lisa Neubauer, she rolled up. She had like a 90 plus thousand vote margin in Dane County, less of a margin in Milwaukee County, but a huge margin in Dane County. But in the Fox Valley, um, Hagedorn did well. He outperformed the last conservative Supreme Court candidate. He outperformed percentage wise what Walker did. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. The TV ads that were run, and they were run at the last minute, but the TV ads that were run in the Fox Valley, that kind of media market, they um, they tied Judge Hagedorn to Trump. And interestingly, that strategy appears to have worked, which is why you have a lot of people, for example, writing for the New York Times or writing for the Washington Post saying, all right, maybe Wisconsin isn't as much of a lock for Democrats in 2020 as people would think, and, and maybe what we're really seeing is this split in the state that's not getting better but it but it's getting worse where you've got you know intense democrat votes in Dane County that that's the case and in Milwaukee County and pretty much the breadth of the state 
being largely Republican. And the only question becomes, can you turn out enough Democrat voters in Dane County and Milwaukee County to offset what's going on in the rest of the state? And, and look, whenever you're talking about a margin of 6,000, that, that can go either way. I mean, Tony Evers won by 30,000. That's that's a tiny margin as well, so it can go either way. 414 799 Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? What do you think? I, I really think the Trump effect, it's starting to work against them now because they have tentacles now that have reached out into virtually every issue there is that we think about every day. And if you agree with one thing that Donald Trump agrees on, you don't deserve to live anymore. And it's really becoming personal. It's getting into a lot of these local elections and that's been their strategy. And I think that was part of the thinking when people were voting here. It's not just the religion. It's the fact that if I just agree with the president on one thing, I'm no good. Sort of, sort of that back, sort of the backlash that, that's out there. Um, sort of the, the overreach, in other words. A gross overreach because they're getting into local elections now and everything is somehow tied to this national agenda here. And, you know, all, ele- all elections are, all politics is local. Mm-hmm. You've heard that before. I think they've lost concept of that. And they're getting what's going on into wa- in Washington into all these local, I mean, it, it'll be in the school board elections here pretty soon. Mark my words on it. Oh, well, I mean, no, thanks. I, I think it, it, it is. I mean, I think, thanks for calling Sam. I think it already is to, to an extent. And, and look, the results are going to cut. The results are going to cut both ways. I mean, let's go back and, and let's let's think about the the Evers Walker race. That again, thirty thousand votes out of all the votes cast is a very very close, a very very close result. Matter of fact, many of us who were watching the election results on election night thought that Walker was going to win until mysteriously they find thirty thousand ballots in Milwaukee, in the city of Milwaukee that they just hadn't gotten around to running through the machines, which kind of changed the dynamic on all that. But it is it is a very very close thing, and to your point. That was a race that in many respects was was nationalized. I think there were a lot of people who turned out and voted against Scott Walker for Tony Evers, not not because they really cared about Evers or not even because they cared about Walker, but because they wanted to send a message to Donald Trump. We want to we want to send a message and that's what we're going to do. I think to an extent this was the flip side of that. But again, it's it, it very, very close. But to me, it shows that Wisconsin is extremely in play, and I think both sides have to be careful of overreach. In this case, I think there was a backlash to the, the, the I think, the overreach and some of the slimy ads in the beginning that just kind of turned people off, and they responded. Let's talk to Marie in Milwaukee. Marie, you're on, WTM, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Marie. Marie. Okay, sorry, lost Marie there. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk about. Um, let's, let's talk to Tim in uh, Tim. You're on W in Lisbon. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. In Lublin, actually, I'm way up north here. Lublin. Okay, got it. Where is Lublin? Lublin is in southwest Taylor County. We are oh. uh, roughly. We're about oh, 30 miles oh. from Chippewa Falls. If okay, you loud and clear here. Okay, got it. Well, outstanding. Yeah, yes, I'm. You know, I've been all over the state. And every once in a while, one of these names will pop up, and I—I I, got to say, I didn't know where Lublin is. I have learned something today. So, <laughs> well, when, when you have uh, Jerry Bader uh, uh, g- 
guest host for you. I always call him. I was a big fan of his when he was on here locally in Green Bay, and I called him all the time. And when he's filled in, I always make sure to outstanding. Talk to him. Okay, so. so what what do you think happened on Tuesday? Were the, a lot of people were shocked about this result. Well, I think they were shocked, but I think I just want to give the perspective from our area in those smaller rural areas of northern Wisconsin, like uh, the lady who was making a quasi point earlier. Uh, there was a heavy support for Hagedorn, but I think there was a heavier turnout. And one of the things that I think really made a difference for him was that he got a lot of national attention on uh, Fox and others because of, of his Christian values. Yeah. He was talking about how that was important to him. That's how his family was raised. And unlike so many others, when that gets raised, he didn't do the uh, song and dance of, well, this is my values, this are important, but it will not affect my jurisdiction. Da, da. He didn't back down from that. Right. And for the rural people around here, that sort of backbone is important to us, uh, especially when you consider uh, rural, rural America and yeah. rural Wisconsin faith is still a key part of our community and our lives. And I and that's why the large turnout in the small areas, I think, also contributed to that narrow victory. Of it. Well, well, oh, absolutely, because I mean, you, you look at it out of what one point three million approximately votes cast. You know, he, he wins by almost six thousand. And, and you're right. I mean, that really shows that kind of every vote counts. And, and I think, I think you're onto something. I think it also moving forward demonstrates that there is a divide in this state between some of the big urban areas, you know, the Dane County and and to a lesser extent, you know, Milwaukee County and the whole rest of the state. Um, and it, it really just is who's going to be motivated to turn out. And to your point, people turned out proportionately quite well in a lot of these rural areas. Yeah, in my little village, for example, we had a, we're only a village of 100 people, but we had over a 65 percent turnout for the April election. Um. Yeah. No. And that. Thanks. And that's that. That is that is one of these outstanding things. Now, I, I want to be cautious here. I, I. I don't. It's tough to look at one election result and figure out what that means to another election result. Um. Next next year, for example, and see, this was part of the grand strategy from from the liberals. They wanted to take control of the state supreme court, and the idea was you win this race with Lisa Neubauer, and then what you do is you come back, and next year, where Dan Justice Kelly, who he'll be standing for election for the first time, he was a Governor Walker appointee. You beat him, and then you've got you know you've you've got the liberals controlling the state supreme court. Well, okay, that strategy's been completely you know, thrown out the window by the, the Hagedorn win because now, regardless of what happens next year, and liberals were particularly encouraged because next year the state Supreme Court election falls on the same day as the Democratic primary. So there, there's naturally, the expectation is there's going to be this this huge turnout, assuming that there's a contested Democratic primary. So it was all part of this master plan that kind of got just, just completely and totally thrown out the window. I want to caution you. Every election is different, but the bottom line is, for anybody who thinks that the liberals are are dead in Wisconsin in statewide elections or the conservatives are dead in statewide elections, that's just flat not the case. Now, one of the bizarre things... One of the bizarre things in the aftermath is Judge Neubauer, Lisa Neubauer, has refused to concede. Okay, I, I, I get that. And like I say, a recount's not going to change anything. But this this was the video that she put out yesterday. And I think Dan Bice first described this as something akin to a hostage video. And it really, it's, it's Lisa Neubauer looking at a camera with like some flowers off to her side. And this is what she says. 
Friends, this is Judge Lisa Neubauer. I am so very thankful for all your hard work on this campaign. Thanks to all of you, we reached hundreds of thousands of our neighbors with our message of needing fair, impartial, and independent courts. We have seen near record turnout and a razor-thin margin. We faced an unprecedented deluge of last-minute outside dark money spending, more than $1 million in the last week alone. And so now, the morning after the election, this race is still too close to call. We need to make sure that every last vote is counted, and that's going to take a little time. And we're going to need your help. So please go to my website at judgenewbauer.com and sign up to volunteer and support our efforts. Again, I am so appreciative of your support, your hard work, and your commitment to this campaign. Together, we will make Wisconsin stronger. Stick with me. Thank you. One of the most bizarre post-election things ever. And, and there's going to be a recount, and that's going to be fine, but it's not going to change the results, period. More interesting thing is, what is it going to mean moving forward? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One final note on the whole question of recounts. It, for people who might be a little unclear, and I know there's a lot of talk about Lisa Neubauer um, maybe requesting a recount, but once all the results are certified, the way it works is if the race is within one percentage point, then a losing candidate is entitled to ask for a recount. But, 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 that candidate has to pay for the recount unless the margin is within 0.25 percentage points. And, and that, that's not, the margin isn't that close because it's, it's going to be about almost 6,000 votes. So what that means is if they want a recount, the Neubauer campaign is going to have to pay for it. So how much does that cost? Well, in 2016, you might recall that Jill Stein, who was the third-party candidate, demanded a recount in the, the Trump-Hillary Clinton thing. As a result of that, actually, they changed the law as to when you could demand a, a recount and who could demand a recount. But they did the recount. Actually, Donald Trump ended up, this was 2.7 million votes, I think, and Donald Trump ended up actually picking up over 100 votes in doing the recount. The estimate was that that cost $2 million. So that's how much it costs to do that recount. The better comparison is probably back in the when David 2011, when then Justice David Prosser beat Joanne Kloppenberg, there was a recount in that election, and the estimates were that probably cost about half a million dollars. So for for Lisa Neubauer to go ahead and say, I, I want to have this recount, it, she would have to pay for it, or her campaign would have to pay for it, and the cost would probably be about $500,000 ballpark. Could be a little bit less, could be a little bit more. Um, it's not going to change any results. Like, like, like I say, if you look back on the history of recounts, the most you ever saw, I think, swing was like 700 votes, and that was in 
out, out of like several million cast. In a race like this, you know, my guess is most you're going to see is a couple hundred swing one way or the other, and it could go either way, and that would be on the high end of this. So a 5,900-vote margin is just pretty much insurmountable. So if you decide to, I don't know, spend half a million dollars demanding a recount, that really is – that that's that's throwing good money after bad. That's the reality. Now here is the interesting question though, and I, I'm willing to be corrected on this, but for people who would donate to the Newbauer campaign, all right, let's assume they donated money. And let's assume that Lisa Neubauer decided that, you know what, I, we're not going to pursue the recount. Yeah, her campaign gets to keep that money, and yes, if she were to run again yeah, I think they could use that for the next race. At least that's my understanding of Wisconsin campaign finance laws. So uh, this that that is that dynamic out there. But regardless of whether or not there is a recount, bottom line is the election results from Tuesday, the margin is just too great to overturn. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. Yesterday, um, the... There, there, there was an interview that was done by the local newspaper, I believe, one of their writers, with Mike McCarthy. You know, and this was it was billed as okay. This is Mike McCarthy speaks, and actually, it was sort of a vanilla article uh, about Mike McCarthy. You know, he said he was extremely disappointed with the way his firing was handled, and he, he didn't like some of the rumors that were out there saying that he, you know, hadn't enforced rules and things like that. But in general, it was a very, very sort of vanilla article on. Mike McCarthy, the coach, leaving the Green Bay Packers. You can't say that about the article that I now have in my hands today. Um, Tyler Dunn, who used to be a, a beat writer for the Packers, now he writes for something called the Bleacher Report, has a lengthy, um, I'm holding it in my hand, and printed out, it's, um, well, it, it, it goes on for about 30 pages. A lengthy report on the breakdown between the relationship of Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. If you want to see this, and actually our text line and my Twitter feed is kind of blown up on this. If if you want it, I, I have a link to it on my Twitter feed. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 or you can just text us the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. And if you text us the word Rodgers, R-O-D-G-E-R-S, um, we'll, we'll send you a link to this story. Like I say, it is extremely lengthy. It is gossipy. But apparently, I, I think well sourced, but there's a lot of the, there's a lot of gossip in it. There's a lot of unnamed sources. It, it's that type of, of thing. But it essentially, it does not paint either Mike McCarthy or Aaron Rodgers in a very good light. Let me kind of summarize 30 pages. It essentially says that Aaron Rodgers is an incredibly talented prima donna who never liked Mike McCarthy, who had a chip on his shoulder from the beginning. Because keep in mind, Aaron Rodgers didn't get drafted till the middle of the first round. And Mike McCarthy was with San Francisco, who made um, Alex Smith the pick for the first round, the number one pick in the draft. And it says that, that Rodgers and McCarthy really never got along. They kind of tolerated each other, but they really never got along. It quotes various sources as saying that Aaron Rodgers never had any respect for McCarthy, didn't think he knew what he was doing, thought he was the smartest guy in the room, again, et cetera, et cetera. And then it goes on to say that once 
the Packers made the decision to pay Aaron Rodgers all the money that they're paying him a year ago, Rodgers essentially became uncontrollable. Not that he wasn't anyways. It talks about how Rodgers didn't thought McCarthy's play calling was too vanilla, thought he'd gotten stale, thought the teams, you know, were able to prepare for this. And so Rodgers started changing the plays, telling people to do stuff. If you didn't do what Rodgers wanted, he wouldn't throw you the ball. Um, McCarthy, on the other hand, he'd call these plays. Rodgers wouldn't run them. And Rodgers says, I wasn't running. Rodgers' attitude was, these things aren't going to work. In any event, it, it paints it paints the picture of a a a you know sort of a shotgun marriage in the beginning that really 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 went downhill from McCarthy's perspective it, it talks about how they um he he wasn't particularly that innovative there are there are parts in there that suggest that he he wasn't working that hard at the end and while the team is preparing he's sneaking a massage therapist in to give him a back rub i, I you know who knows it's it's gossipy to that extent but it, it does show Again, a complete and total breakdown, fair or unfair, between like a quarterback and the, the, the Packers head coach, where clearly things had, had, you know, gone completely off the rails. It defends McCarthy to an extent because it says, okay, Ted Thompson, as the general manager, had kind of punched out a couple years earlier, and McCarthy ended up having to become the face of the franchise, at least from the, from that perspective. But it's, Nobody looks good in, in this entire thing. But I do think if you read it, um, Aaron Rodgers does not come off well. Aaron Rodgers does not come off as a team player. He comes off as, well, sort of that incredibly talented guy, maybe the, the smartest guy in the room, but the smartest guy in the room who behaves like he is the smartest guy in the room. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What this article talks about is the history of of the Packers. What I want to talk about is is moving forward. All right, do you think do you think these relationships are salvageable? Do you think a new coach can bring Rodgers under control? Does Aaron Rodgers need to be brought under control? Is this a situation where you have a player that thinks he's bigger than the franchise? Can the new coach succeed? where Mike McCarthy obviously failed. And this article makes all sorts of indications as to clearly there there was an absolute failure. 414-799-1620. Is this an unfair portrayal in your view of Aaron Rodgers, who might be the greatest quarterback of all times, but it's not a very affectionate portrayal of him? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back again. If you want to get a link to this article, if you're a Packers fan, you can text us the word Rogers, R-O-D-G-E-R-S, to 414-799-1620. It paints an extremely unflattering portrait of both former Packers coach Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, who it portrays as a very, very talented prima donna who... I guess seems to think that, you know, he's smarter and better than everybody else and says he was drawing up plays and things like that. I guess the question is, is moving forward, I mean, is is this something that people can work with? I mean, Rogers is getting all this money over the next several years, but if this report is true, is is the new head coach going to be able to rein him in? Does he need reining in? Sam on the east side. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Oh, um. Real quickly, no, I don't. Um, 
I don't think it doesn't matter what coach comes in. Um, if you remember back when he got drafted, um, I don't know, what did he go, 20-something? The look on his face every time he was passed over, he was so embarrassed. And I really believe that he, and this is not the injury, I really believe he's got a chip on his shoulder because mm-hmm. because of that. It's like he every year he's got something to prove. And, you know, one, one Super Bowl appearance in his career so far, that's not saying much. And I think it's about Aaron Rodgers. He took all that money after a year after the injury, so we didn't know how well he was going to play, but he wanted that money. It's all about him, and it doesn't matter what coach comes in. We're going to have problems with this guy until the day he leaves, whether retirement or for a different team. That's what I believe. Well, I mean, one of the things it it says in the article is when when they made the decision before last season to give Aaron Rodgers all that money that they essentially said just and it happens in the NBA too I mean the NBA is a players driven league players get coaches fired you know that that's that's just the reality and it, and it said that what they essentially did is they, they gave the keys to the franchise to Aaron Rodgers and right. he didn't like McCarthy um but at the same time, if you're a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you you know the end of your career is closer than the beginning of your career. You you figure you need a couple more Super Bowls to really cement your role as one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. Don't you have to jump on the train and get on board? Well, yeah, you might be right about that, but I think I think he probably looks at the team and figures maybe he can't attain that. So now what's the next thing then? Get as much money as you can. If yeah. he really wanted to win, he could have said, you know, I'll wait two more years for my contract to be over. Let's sign some defensive guys. Let's try to make a run at this thing. And he didn't do that. I think it's about Aaron Rodgers. That's all he cares about. And I don't matter. I don't think it matters what coach comes in. We're going to have problems. Okay. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I guess... I mean, maybe I just kind of personalize this and maybe because... You know, I, I, I mean, I, I think... I think the chip on the shoulder stuff, I, I think that is what pushes Aaron Rodgers to be as great as he is, that he, he's not complacent. And I'm sure that there's frustrations that go on. I guess if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm sitting there thinking, hey, I've got a limited window of opportunity, and, and I need to get on board because what's been going on the last couple years with me on a different on a different level, not running the plays that are called and not throwing to the people that I'm supposed to and telling them to run different routes and all that, that hasn't worked. Okay, that that hasn't worked. And if you want to get the team back to the Super Bowl, maybe you got to get on board. And, and hopefully, there will be a degree of mutual respect. Mark in Wales. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, a couple things. First of all, I don't believe stories that aren't corroborated uh, by either side. So we'll just let that go. It's he said versus he said. Mm-hmm. But from a team perspective, Aaron Rodgers has earned. And I'll emphasize the word earned. He's earned the right to have a say on how the offense runs. Mm-hmm. He's earned the right, right? But he doesn't have a say of defense, and he doesn't have a say on other team issues because he's a player. Mm-hmm. So give him some leeway in running his offense, and let's move on to the season. Just talk about whether he's going to have uh, any right to say about the team or prima donna, it's it's insignificant, doesn't make a difference. Let me ask you something. You said something yeah. interesting, Mark. You, you said he, he has the right to have a say about running his offense. Is it is it his offense or is it the coach's offense? And he's it's just... The, it's, it's the coach's offense, yeah. 
but I'm I'm sure that the coach is factoring in what type of player he has in Aaron Rodgers, so it's a collaborative effort. But the quarterback of all the players on the offense knows what's going on in terms mm-hmm. of the chemistry. He knows if a guy's hot or if he's having a bad day. Let the quarterback, who's as talented as Aaron, give him some free reign there where he can make some decisions and hit the hot guy who's got the hot uh, catching hands. Yeah, well, it's interesting, Mark, because, you know, and of course, back in the day, when I first, when I was growing back in the day, when I was growing up, first started watching football, the quarterbacks called the plays. I mean, you, you didn't have this system, you didn't have where the offensive coordinators and the head coach, the, the quarterbacks called Johnny Unitas called the plays. I mean, that's, that's, you know, what, what they did. One of the things this article says, and again, you can take it with a grain of salt, is, is part of the problem is that Aaron Rodgers lost faith in, in Mike McCarthy, thought he knew more than McCarthy, and so McCarthy had this game plan, and Rodgers didn't want to throw the short passes. He wanted to keep throwing the ball long, be, and that's that, that. even if it didn't work, he continued to want to do that. You know, th- this is an interesting read for Packers fans, and I guess, it, again, like I say, it's very, very dishy. It's very, very gossipy, and, and you can you can take what you want from it other than it is apparent and i think it's probably fair that there there was a huge relationship breakdown if if i'm the new coach and i'm the general manager and i'm the president of the packers you know mark murphy you read this and and you do have to recognize that you got to get everybody on the same page whatever that is and you got to get your star player to buy into the system otherwise you're just spinning your wheels for the next couple years but if you want to see this piece again if you text us the word rogers r-o-d-g-e-r-s to 414-799-1620 we'll send it to you jeff wagner on wtmj So very glad to have you with us. All right, I sent this out as a tweet. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. And a number of people are saying, well, we're not on Twitter. We want to hear about this. It's the story that caught my attention first thing this morning. Getting naked on vacation? Follow these five tips for nude resorts. Really, you might want to keep this in mind. You know, when you and Mrs. Grew decide you're going to that, that, that nude resort. Rule number one, don't stare. All right. Number two. Get nude. If you're going to a nude resort, there is an expectation that you are going to get nude. Rule three, use a towel when sitting. I am not making this up. This is actually out of USA Today. Use a towel when sitting. That should be self-evident. Number four, bring a beach bag. Now, the idea behind that is that you, you, you particularly, like, for example, you want your suntan lotion and stuff because, you know, if you're out there sunbathing naked, there are some parts, I imagine, that you want to make sure, you know, don't get fried by the sun. I mean, I'm just saying. And, and number five, which ties into the next story we're going to talk about, don't take photos without consent. That's a very, very interesting point. And again, if you want to see a link to this story, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty on Twitter. But but I, I want to go back to this this other rule: don't take photos without consent. By the way, as an aside, Key West. I love Key West. We are in Key West. We go middle of February every year. There is on the main street in Key West. There is this bar. It's it's actually three bars. It's three floors. First floor is a regular bar with, like, music and stuff like that. It's actually kind of a 
you know, it's it's reasonably cheap, and you know, you're drinking beer out of cans, which is probably good and stuff like that. But it's got music and things. That's the first floor. The second floor is a different bar. It is a sports bar with lots of TVs and pool tables. And then the third floor that I have admittedly never been up to is a clothing optional bar. So I, I've never been up to the, the third floor. Um, I suggested, I said to my wife, you want to go up and look around? And again, I, I got that look that all you ladies learned from your mothers at some point in time or another, like I married a moron. No, we're not. We didn't. So I haven't been up to the third floor of that, that particular place yet, but they are there. All right. Wagner's Rule of Life, number seven, and take this down. I come this way but once, is that unless you are a pornographic movie star, and perhaps even then, it is never a good idea to take nude photographs of yourself. Almost nothing good will happen. Which brings me to the story of a woman named Lauren Miranda. She's 25 years old. She is a middle school teacher in New York. All right, here's the story in a nutshell. She is, or was, dating another teacher at in another teacher in the school district all right so she's dating this guy she decides that she is going to take a topless photograph of herself that she then sends to the guy that she is dating now she she didn't do this in the school classroom she didn't do it on school resources it's just you know, she decides they're in this relationship, and she decides, here, I'm going to send him this topless photograph of, of me. So she texts him that picture, all right? Now, ultimately, you know, she, she the, the relationship apparently ends, the, the, you know, they break up or whatever. So she gets whistled into the principal's office a month or so ago, and the principal says, look, one of the middle school students has has this picture and i i want you to you know look look at this and it turns out long story short that this topless woman in the picture that the kid has is this teacher so somehow the kid has gotten a hold of the topless photograph that this woman took of herself and sent over to the guy that she was dating now at this point in time it is still unclear as to how how this all happened. How did the kid get access to it? We, we don't know. We, you know, we, we, we don't know. But the kid got access to it, and apparently the kid had been, not surprisingly, showing it to other students in the school. Hey, here's, you know, here's Miss So-and-so or whatever. All right. After the school district finds out that this is her, and that this new, semi-nude, topless photograph of her is out there, she is immediately suspended, and um, the recommendation is, from the, the school, is that she be fired because she is, quote, no longer a proper role model for the students. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is the school being unduly harsh on this woman? She's getting ready to go to court. She says, hey, first of all, this is discrimination. If this was a male teacher, you know, and you had a topless photograph of him and the kids were looking at it, you wouldn't fire him. That's number one. So you're discriminating against me based on the fact that I am a female. But the bigger point is, she says, look, I'm the victim here. 
All right, this, I'm I am the victim here. It's not like I sent these topless photos to the kid. That's a different story. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there's a lot of stuff wrong here, but i got to tell you, I don't think the teacher should lose her job. What do you think? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Who is that topless woman? Gee, it looks like my seventh grade teacher. Should she be fired? Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Our number, 414-799-1620. I will take input from both genders, but on this particular story, I'm especially interested in getting a female perspective. 414-799-1620. Is it fair to the teacher? You have a 25-year-old woman. She's a middle school teacher. She's involved in a romantic relationship with uh, another teacher in that school district. She sends a topless photograph that she's taken, a topless selfie of herself, to this other male teacher. Somehow, and we don't know how this ends up in the hands of one of the students who's presumably showed it to a whole bunch of the other students, and the school has now fired her. Uh, all right, is she being treated fairly? Kimberly in Muskego. Hi, Kimberly, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. I would have to say that when I would assume to be a teacher, you're going to be in the public eye. With that role, you need to be mature. Right. And I believe she is very poor judgment. And I believe that maybe it was all fun and games and on her personal time. But unfortunately, when you take those roles, you're taking those roles and you're in the public eye no matter what. Mm-hmm. So how can she teach young girls, which they do in schools, not to take pictures and send them to boys when she's doing it? So I agree that she's not mature enough to hold that role. Is she being treated unfairly? For example, if the if one of her male colleagues takes a, a photograph of himself in swim swim trunks and showing off his torso, nothing's going to happen to him. Is it fair to treat her differently? Well, she was fully exposed. If he were fully exposed on his lower extremities... No, but, I'm, no but upper extremities. I mean, no, no, he's, he's take, he's, his shirt is off and he takes a picture of himself. They, they wouldn't fire him for that. Yeah, it's if exposed, yes. <laughs> but, okay, it's should, a different type of exposure. I mean, let's make it apples to apples. You okay. Know, I would say in that same situation, absolutely. Do I want my children going to a school where teachers are not going to use good judgment when... Um, holding those types of positions and then you're going to teach my child how to respect their body and tell them not to send these pictures to young boys but yet you did it how far would you extend that that? let's say that she was a uh, police officer same same circumstance she was a police officer would you extend that to that occupation absolutely police officer anyone in any type of religious setting that dealt with that absolutely Teachers, you are all in the public eye. You are all addressing the public with um, rules, regulations, policies, ways to handle yourself successfully. I believe that you're held to a higher standard whether you'd like to or not. Okay, thank you. For, appreciate it. 414-799-1620. All right, first caller out of the box. And again, I, I particularly like some female input on this. Because she, this this lady is saying, look, this this is unfair. I, first of all, I, I did this on my own time. This is, 
I was involved in a relationship with this guy, and, and yes, I sent him this. It's not like I disseminated this publicly. She's saying that she is, in fact, the victim here because something that she assumed was going to be private has somehow been made public. All right, here's Barb. Barb texts, I kind of agree that she shouldn't work in that school anymore. I have a sixth grade boy and an eighth grade boy. She would never have respect from anyone. I don't feel they should fire her, but rather write her a great recommendation and encourage her to get a different job in a different school district, especially if she was a good school district. Jeff, here's another text. I'm a male. I believe the guy needs to be held more responsible. From another guy's perspective it sounds like he is responsible for what happens to that photo after he received it all right chris says i don't believe the woman should lose her job how about holding the ex-boyfriend responsible for leaking the photograph all right and the flip side jeff um let's see unfortunately actions have consequences how can she teach with students coming in there having them seen she has no credibility she needs to go to a different district well let me let me just throw this out there though what if what if instead of her taking the voluntary photo and sending it. It wasn't intended to be disseminated. What if instead you have a situation where, I don't know, she's in, I don't know, a public changing room, for example, and you have some creepo that's got a hidden camera there and it's taken naked pictures of her, and, and that's been disseminated. So uh, in this particular now in this particular case, she took the photo and sent it out, but it wasn't supposed to be made public. But if the idea is, oh my gosh, these middle school girls, boys have, and girls have have seen what she looks like without her top on. All right, I mean, is if if that in and of itself is what is disqualifying, does that make any difference? What if she? What if she were just changing in the locker room and some creepo has this hidden camera and, and there's these pictures of her out there? I mean, I, I guess I have in trouble with this because I look at this woman in many respects as a victim. And again, I understand Wagner's rule of life, number seven, nothing good happens when you do this. You know, it's never a good idea to take nude or semi-nude photographs of yourself. But at the same time, what she did wasn't illegal and she she didn't disseminate them to everyone else. Somebody leaked these. Um, I, I just, I, I just think firing her is unfair. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again. Bad judgment, maybe, maybe not. I mean, look, lots of people do this. I, I understand. This is one of the this is one of the things that comes with everybody having cell phone cameras and stuff like that. And if you've got two people that are in a committed relationship or in a relationship, is it not a good idea? Well, it's probably not a good idea, and this illustrates why. But I know that stuff happens. Mandy in Milwaukee. Mandy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I think it's very interesting that if she's in a committed relationship and she does something privately and that video was or that picture was leaked without her knowledge, it's her fault. That's essentially what they're saying by firing her. That's unacceptable. That's not right. Right. They're, They're saying it's her fault for using the bad judgment of taking that photo in the first place regardless of what she did afterwards. That's what they're saying. Well, now that now they're starting to infringe on what people do in a committed relationship. And is that really fair? Well, I mean, what if it was a boudoir photo, right? Yeah. So fine. It, it went to that extreme. But boudoir photos, now they're, they're yeah. norms, right? It's, people do it all the time. So I, it's, it's something outside of school, committed relationship. Really what we need to, you know, talk about here is that, you know, and, and use that as a learning experience that 
you know, committed relationship. She sent those photos, and someone got that photo somehow and shared it. That's right. what's sad. That's well, what's well, right, yeah, because to, to me, that's what generates this whole thing. My guess is that... My, my guess is that maybe this type of stuff goes on all the time. You've got, you know, the the guy and the gal. And look, I, I, I don't get it. I'm the first to tell you, Mandy, me naked is not a pretty sight. And I don't take pictures of that. But but I, and so I, I freely admit that. But but I understand this is what goes on in our society nowadays. And it, to me, it'd be one thing, again, if, if she was posting this on, on message boards and saying kind of look at me or whatever. But she wasn't doing that. She, it, I guess I can't get past the fact that I think that she's the victim in many Absolutely. respects. I, I- Completely agree, and and really, it, it, it frustrates me that you know the, these girls, you know, in her class, for example, see that this happened. She lost her job. Maybe what it should be is like, look, this happened. Judgment not the greatest, right? Right. But maybe we should use this as an experience. Say, you don't want to share that. And plus, when you're young, who knows, you know, what relationships are going to end up as. Well, okay. and you know, there's. Yeah, let me give you another, as long as we're talking, let me give you another example. That's one of the reasons my, my lead-in was this story that I, I, I tweeted out about USA Today, rules for going to a nude resort, right? Okay, well, let, let's assume maybe she and this guy go to the nude resort, for example, and I don't know, maybe some other people from the school district are there or whatever, and they see her parading around, you know, in the all together because it's a nude resort. All right, do, do you fire her for that? Because, oh, she went to the nude resort. I, again, it seems to me that that's unfair. I completely agree. And, and you know, if you look, you know, internationally, I remember a few years ago, Kate Middleton, they, they got the topless photos of her and they published it. And, and you know, the, right. they went crazy with that. You know, and, and so it's like she was Kate Middleton was a victim in that one. So right. why is it any different for this teacher? Yeah, you know, she was right. in that private committed relationship. Right. Well, right. Another right, another good example. Let's say she's at one of these places and she's sunbathing topless and somebody takes this picture of her without her consent. Now, again, in this particular case, there, there was consent, but th- then they they send it off and the kids see it. All right, you're going to fire her for that? No, thanks for the call. I appreciate four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And again, I, I my basic premise is that this is probably not a good idea. So I mean, I I freely accept that that whole idea. And this is the cautionary tale when you make the decision to do stuff like this. If you assume that these things are private, well. It, oftentimes they don't end up being private. But but again, what's the fair result? Kelly in Sheboygan. Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Kelly. I think there's at least uh, three points. One of them is, yes, she did use poor judgment. Uh, I find people of that age never think anything's going to be seen. And excuse me, but we put it out on... Oh yeah, um, it's like public. yeah, it's like the seventeen-year-old girls that think, oh, I'm here, I'm going to, I'm in, a, I'm this guy is in love here, I'm going to take these naked pictures of myself, I'm going to send them to the boy, and then they're surprised when it's all over the school. I mean, it's yeah. just yeah, like oh my goodness, how did that happen? Right. Second of all, the thing uh, she's also crazy foolish trying to compare her chest with a man's chest. Mm-hmm. That's another wacko, and uh, but. Then the thing that infuriates me the most, why don't we call in that other teacher who was in a committed relationship with her and somehow, oh my, oh my, accidentally that got released? 
Yeah, I well, mean, yeah, we we, we don't know how. Right. Porno, well, you know? yeah, yeah, to, to the kids. Yeah, no, now technically we don't know how it got released yet, but obviously if she only sent it to him and somehow it ends up in some seventh yeah. grader's hands, you know, it's yes. yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not saying he shared it with a seventh grader. He could have shared it with his buddy, who eventually, right, somehow it ended up in the wrong hands. And whatever happens to her should happen to him. Okay, so bottom line, would you fire her? No, I, I I would have a hard time with that. I would want to fire her or not to fire her, but I wouldn't know how else to get her out of the school because it was my understanding she was an excellent teacher. Yeah, yeah, she was, that right, she was due for a promotion is what I'm yeah. being told until yeah. this all happened. Now, thanks for calling, Kelly. I guess I, my bottom line is, to me, this the story, again, number one, bad judgment, Wagner's Rule of Life number seven, resist that urge to take the nude photograph of yourself. It's almost ever, never going to turn out well. But as far as firing her, I, I think that's too far. I think you use this perhaps as a cautionary tale. And I agree. I mean, candidly, if you want to find somebody who's really in the wrong here, figure out who it was that leaked the photograph so it got in the hands of the middle schooler. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, Melissa Barkley, from your lips to my Twitter feed, um, you came in and said, have you seen this? It, it came out about the last hour or so, and I said, I have not, but if you want to see it, I just sent it out on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 we're actually getting close to like a little zero number, so looking for another like 25 oh, followers. Yeah. yeah, just I'm there. But okay. So I hope I I hope that there's somebody doing this because well, all right, you 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 tell the story. So I well, I was just scrolling through my Twitter feed uh, before the news and I looked at this thing. Uh, I'm obviously following the president of the United States and he had posted something an hour ago. It said, welcome back, Joe, meaning Joe Biden. And it's this little video meme ish thing that has. Um, well, obviously, Joe Biden is apologizing kind of for being, you know, it's, it's the touchy. video of him yeah, apologizing, apologizing for being like handsy. Yes, sure. Being handsy, touching. And um, then there's this little Joe Biden behind him that comes up sort of an animated Joe Biden that puts his, you know, hands on his shoulders and starts massaging his shoulders like it. It's just uh, very it, it caught my eye. And so I said to you, oh, have you seen this? I, <laughs> and I looked at your face and you said I, no. I, and then you looked it up. I, and I swear I, I just every once it, it happens. It does not happen much given. I mean, I have been doing this job full or part time since 1995. I have had a radio show in this market Full or part-time since 1995. It takes a lot to render me speechless. Yeah, you were speechless. <laughs> I will tell you that this renders me speechless. Yeah. And, and you know, you said, well, I assume he has somebody to do it, to which I said, I hope he's got somebody to do it. I mean, I hope the leader of the free world is not spending time. And, and you're exactly – it's the video of Biden from the other day apologizing sure. for being handsy. Mm-hmm. And you are ex- exactly right. It's only like 15 seconds, but it shows – like a superimposed Biden thing, like a like a cut cut out of Biden in the background that goes back and forth, and then it's got a Photoshop Biden creeping up over mm-hmm. Biden's shoulder, putting his hands like nuzzling his ear. It's it's already got 1.5 million views. Oh, you can't help uh, it, just oh. Uh, well, it's just Jeff, you were just left speechless. It's just okay, and and this is. This is the president. This is the president of the United States. Now, look, I I understand. Whenever we go down this route, I, I get. 
people from the, the right who are saying, well, I can't believe you're mocking President Trump. Go work for MSNBC. And whenever I, I you know, defend the president, I get people on the left who are criticizing well, me for yeah, the point how, how can you do that? Just... This is right. This particular one. Yeah. It's like, well, I, I will say, but if you follow me on Twitter, and it's at Jeff Wagner 620 the, the caption that I had that went with this, and again, it's, it's, this, it's this kind of like creepy meme and all, was sure. that perhaps someone should remind the president that people who live in glass houses should not throw stones. I mean, I, I'm just, I am just saying that given President Trump's history with, the Stormy Daniels of the world and all, I think I would be staying, if it were me, I would be staying as far away from this Joe Biden controversy as I possibly could. That's but, but but I witnessed something here in the studio. I'd never seen you speechless before. So that was like, well, I, well, you said, look at this. Historic. I said, look at this. <laughs> I, well, and I just, I, I'm just, I continue to be stunned. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. I, like I said, I sent out, it, it so, so much so that after I saw this, I said, oh, this is clearly like, like tweet worthy <laughs> no. because, yeah. and, and again, all I can say is, number one, I was just stunned. Number two, speechless. Number three, I, I do hope that the president has somebody who produces these things because I hope he's he's not sitting behind a desk at the Oval Office going, here, let me do this creepy Joe meme. And it, I just, again, I go back to my basic premise that of all the different issues that the president wants to raise and all the different things that he wants, bandwagons that he wants to jump on, Joe Biden inappropriately touching women is is not one that I think that President Trump would want to go down. I'm just saying that route. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Oh, well, there. you're welcome. Bring, That's what I'm here for. I, well, I, <laughs> I bring news to your attention. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I get to pass it on because that was. Yeah, that, it, that, it was. It was. Yeah. Well, it is, it, it's one of those things where when you told in all honesty, when you told me about it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we all have to be cautious of, and I particularly have to be cautious of, is. You you know sometimes there there's the there's the catfishing stuff that's out there sure. and somebody puts this up and you go oh this is great and then you jump on it or... and it, right and it, and so that's why first of all I found it and then I'm and now Fox has it and USA Today has it and this is this is going to get a lot well, of attention. Well, and this is what I said to you. I said oh it's on uh, the real Donald Trump's uh, Twitter <laughs> Twitter account, so I knew that it was you know from his his people or his account. So <laughs> it's just it's just. I didn't get it from any other source or anything like <laughs> no, that. No, no, no. I, yeah. I, I believe that. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I grew up, okay, Ronald Reagan was my hero. <laughs> okay, Ronald Reagan is my hero. I just, I, I can't imagine Ronald Reagan doing something like this. I, I, I can't, I can't remember, I can't imagine President Bush, either President Bush doing something like this or Barack Obama, you know, Bill Clinton, nah, I can't even imagine Clinton doing stuff like this. But anyhow, um, th- this is going to be a big story out there, and if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty, you can see it. Hmm. Thank you, Melissa. All right, that with that segue, I go into a Donald Trump story, and this is this is perhaps I'm going to defend the president on this one. Um, there, every president since Richard Nixon has, as a candidate, disclosed their income tax returns. They have not been forced to do it. They have done it voluntarily. Donald Trump has broken from that tradition. Donald Trump says, well, I'm under audit, so I'm not going to turn him over. Well, that's BS. There, there's, if he wanted to turn him over, there's no rule that says because you're being audited, you can't disclose it. Donald Trump, for whatever reason, doesn't want the general public to see his tax records. But this was an issue in the 2016 campaign All right, and and he hasn't turned them over. 
Now the Democrats control the House of Representatives. There is an obscure part of the tax code which allows the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, and that's the that's the House committee that handle that writes the tax laws and stuff like that. There is an obscure provision of the law that allows the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee to demand any individual's tax returns including the president of the United States, right? This is, it is almost never invoked because if the IRS is investigating somebody for criminal behavior, there, there are procedures that prosecutors can use to get people's tax returns. I used to do that in another life. But this is the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee who has now sent a demand to the IRS that they produce Trump's tax returns from 2013 to 2018 and some various business returns. This is the request is being made under the general thing of, well, we, we want to check oversight. We want to see if he's being properly audited. But, of course, this is weaponizing the tax code. That's what the Republicans are saying. Look, this isn't about if if he was under investigation for criminal behavior, that would be one thing. This is just an effort to get these. And, you know, as soon as they get them, they're going to make them public. This is fundamentally wrong. And what you have now is politicians who are using I don't know, the tax code and this obscure law as a way to embarrass people on the other side. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It would be a lot easier if the president made his tax returns public. I agree with that. Having said that, I think what is going on now stinks. This is an effort, again, to try to weaponize the tax code. And what should scare people is today it is the president what if tomorrow the Democrat-controlled Ways and Means Committee or the Republican-controlled Ways and Means Committee decides that they are going to demand, I don't know, the tax returns of the top 500 givers in every state to the opposing party? I mean, big picture, isn't it scary that you have government officials or at least elected officials picking and choosing whose tax returns they want to see? 414-799-1620. I think the president should fight this effort. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Joe and Jackson. Joe, good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Okay, should Trump have to give up his tax returns? Well, I mean, I, I think that if the legislation exists, the, the, what are we going to do? I mean, it, it's the same argument that the Democrats have in regards to the, um, what the Republicans did with the lame duck session and, and uh, the blocking of, of Evers' moves and stuff. I mean, the, the legislation exists on the books. So mm-hmm. if, if, if it's going to change, it needs to change. But for now, if they have it to use, they can use it. Does the fact that it has never been used to try to obtain a president's tax records. Now, this committee uses it sometimes, but typically they use this authority because they're trying to figure out, all right, how how many people use a particular tax loophole or, or how much money is being taken by this sort of deduction. As far as I can tell, with the possible exception of Richard Nixon in 74, it, it's never been directed just on a fishing expedition to say, let's let us see a president's tax returns who don't want it, doesn't want to give it up. Does that strike you as being right? I think that 
um, what the argument from the left is going to be is in light of what Mueller is now saying, um, that, that Barr did not properly re- represent what was in the report and the possible criminality that might be there. I think that that is going to be their argument for the use of it. I mean, while, yes, it never has been used against the president, we've never had a president like this. Mm-hmm. Does that then set the precedent, though, for, you know, what I was talking about earlier? So that next year it's, all right, we want to see the tax returns of the top 50 Republican donors in, in every state because, well, we just want to see them. Does, is that the door you're opening for this? And, and then the flip side, when Republicans take control of back control of the House of Representatives, like they will someday, could you just say, okay, we want to see the top 100 donors in every state. We want to look at their tax records. Okay, in my opinion on that one, it's a bit of a leap. And the reason why I say that is because um, it, it, I really do think that this is a, this is a direct attack or what they're trying to call is an exposing of, of uh, President yeah. Trump. I, I don't, I just don't, I don't know if I can make that kind of leap. Just. Okay. All right. Well, that, fair, fair enough. I guess I'm, maybe I'm just a little sensitive to this because I, um, I just, I don't know about you. I just, I just signed my, I was going to say, I, I used to do my taxes and they kind of got complicated. So I have the, the very, very bright Laura who does my tax returns and she, we just got them finished last week and I, had to write a check to the IRS and sent that off last week. So I'm on, I'm kind of all done. Gru, have you gotten yours done yet? You've got, oh yes, we've talked about that. You've gotten them done, but you haven't sent the money in yet. I paid it. You, oh, you paid it. You already have. Yep, I paid oh. it off. All right. Good for you. Well, I paid off, I paid off mine as well just to kind of get it off my plate. But look, and, and so I have, I have nothing to hide in my tax returns. I, I, I don't. But at the same time, with all due respect, I don't want anybody else seeing them. I mean, it's it's my business. It's my accountant's business. It's my wife's business. It's, you know, the, the tax returns are a very, very private sort of thing. And what it appears they're doing in trying to get the president's tax returns is it's just a fishing expedition. Like I say, this committee has uses this authority to get records, but basically it's not for, hey, we just we want to look around. It's, you know, we're considering changing the tax code, so we want to see, you know, who did this or who did that or how many people did that, which is, of course, a reasonable type of thing. This is just we want to get the records, and once we get the records, you know they're going to be leaked to the public, and we want to we want to embarrass the president. We want him that maybe he hasn't made as much money or maybe he didn't pay as much taxes as people think. And that's that's what bothers me about this. Now, again, I I appreciate you don't have this issue if President Trump does what every other presidential every other president since Richard Nixon has done, which is make his tax returns public. Kevin in Waukesha. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Kevin. What do you uh, think? Well, first of all, I appreciate your show and I enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, but I'd like to uh, interject here. Uh, initially, that code, I believe, was set up uh, because of a situation they had back in the early 20s with a president with uh, conflicting interests. Uh, mm-hmm. And what it boiled down to is uh, this is a whole package of, of laws uh, done by the IRS and the IRS as a separate entity, not part of the three parts of government. Uh, it's kind of in control of itself. Uh, and that's where they can demand these uh, items, and uh, it goes through that way. Sure, to make uh, sure the IRS it, is doing it its job. Used. Yeah, Right. It, it, it has been used. Uh, it was used with Nixon. It was also used with Ford. It was used with uh, Bill Clinton and I believe one other president. So this, this has been used. It's not really obscure. It's all part of that package. But, you know, the bottom line is 
they can't just go in there and you know to to embarrass this guy. They have to have reasonable cause to uh, get the uh, IRS to produce these. They can't just you know produce them and say, well, we just want to embarrass this guy or something like that. They have to have reasonable cause. Uh, and in the views of transparency, which I don't think we have anywhere near enough of in government right now, I think it's basically almost going to be demanded somewhere along the line here that this guy coughs this information up. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, actually, that that's what's happening. I mean, looking at the story right now, and the chairman says um, that this is our statutory authority to do this. We, we want it. I don't think there's any sort of showing of reasonable cause that they're going to make. They're just saying, hey, um, when we ask for this, the law says that the Treasury Secretary shall furnish the information. And so we, we want them to do it. I guess the, the big picture is, it, 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 look, if, if Trump has committed all sorts of fraud or things like that, obviously, investigate him, prosecute him. Should something like this be used to make tax returns public when he doesn't want them to be public? I, I see your point there. And, you know, I think the bottom line here is that the request for this may be a little premature. Right. Right. OK. I mean, Maybe more things have to come out and more, you know, uh, uh, transparency in the Mueller investigation as to uh, what's going on with this whole thing now would bar backtracking a little bit on uh, right. what he did and why. Uh, I, I, I think we need to see the evidence there that I think other people are pointing to. Wait, so you're you're thinking you're you're thinking that maybe there's going to be something in these tax returns that show money from a foreign government or something like that. I think the whole thing is going to get tied together here somewhere along the line. But I think the fact that they're trying to hide the investigation or the Mueller report from coming out completely has got something to do with it. Okay. Well, thanks for calling. Well, I guess I, I guess I, I I think see I don't think you're going to see that connection. And again, maybe, maybe I'm going to be wrong. I, I still continue to think the Mueller report. Well, and maybe there's some embarrassing stuff in there, but from a criminal perspective, it's a nothing burger. I, I think, candidly, this is this giant fishing expedition. And again, I, I wish the president would just make his tax returns public, like everybody else. Everybody else has been a president, and that puts an end to it. Obviously, there's stuff in the tax returns, and maybe just from a privacy level. But my my guess is maybe he didn't pay as maybe he's didn't pay as much tax as somebody some people thought although the one tax return from a number of years ago that got leaked showed that he he certainly paid a ton of money but what's troubling me about this is my concern that you have the irs being weaponized that's what they did during the nixon era here let's go get the tax returns of the people who are our enemies my concern is and again forget republican forget democrat Think about big picture. You know, we, we don't want to have people's tax returns be subject to, I don't know, opposition party being able to use for opposition research. That's my issue. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 36 degrees outside there will be there will be spring sometime it was interesting uh, this golf course i play at they sent out a note today saying all right uh, we've got nine holes that are open for people who want to come out and play which is it's great that they're open but 36 degrees pushing it a pushing it a tad for me at least although i'm sure that there's going to be out the people that are out there doing it all right if you are a regular listener of this program you know it's no secret i i'm upfront about this i am not an early adopter i i'm 
I'm one of these guys. I had a flip phone for a while. Matter of fact, I still know some people, and you know who you are, who have the, the old-fashioned flip phones. But I, I once I got the first my first smartphone, I, I just absolutely loved it. I was, I think, one of the last people around that, that ended up getting the subscription services like Netflix. I absolutely love Netflix, but it took me a while to, to do that. I am not an early adopter. And I always try to make this assessment. Okay, I know this. It's not because I don't know stuff is out there, but it's like, okay, I know what I have. I know what I need. Something that I have does what I need it to do. And do I want to drop another $100 or $500 or whatever to have the latest and the best? And in most cases, my answer ends up being no. All right, well, here is the deal. If you have been waiting for 5G, it is now here, starting starting Wednesday, Verizon customers with unlimited data plans in Minneapolis and Chicago can get speeds of up to one gigabyte per second on a limited number of phones for an extra $10 a month. So they are, Verizon, they are rolling out their 5G wireless service. To tap into this network, you, you can't have an iPhone. Apple Apple is not getting into the 5G world until next year at the earliest. You need a Motorola phone. You need a clip-on modem that upgrades the device from 4G networks. You will pay an additional $10 a month per phone for 5G. The first three months of the service are being free, are free. So Verizon is rolling this out first in the United States. They are thinking that people are going to just flock to this and people are going to want this 5G service, which theoretically will provide, you know, faster coverage. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I mean, first of all, I'm an iPhone guy. So if you're an iPhone guy, if you're an Apple guy, you're you're not even going to have this option. Apple is saying, okay, we're going to wait for a while. But if you've got the right type of phone and you live in the right type of area, you live in Chicago, you live in Minneapolis, then there's going to be, I think, another 40-plus cities that they're going to be rolling this out to. You, you can, if you are willing to pay more and do these upgrades, you can get that 5G service, faster coverage. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess th- this is another situation where I, I don't, I don't, am I saying that, it might not be nice to have. Well, okay, that I'm not. But I guess I don't see, I certainly don't see replacing a phone that I am perfectly content with just to get this 5G. Secondly, I'm, as a general rule, I'm happy with what I have. And if it means that I'm going to have to spend $100 more a year or $150 more a year or whatever, I'm going to have to be convinced that there's really going to be a huge difference and I'm going to need something like this. Otherwise, I'm happy with what I have. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there going to be a huge rush for this 5G service? Are you waiting for the 5G service? And if you have a chance to get it, if they roll it out in Milwaukee or whatever, are you going to rush out and spend the extra money and get whatever device you need so that you can latch on to it? To me, I just don't see the big deal. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, is 5G for you. 
we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. That last commercial for Wheel and Sprocket and the e-bikes and the, the event they're having this weekend, that is a perfect example of what I was talking about, about me not being an early adopter. I I have an e-bike. We bought e-bikes last fall. I absolutely love them. Um, and there, there's something great that if you like to bicycle, look, I've been off a bicycle in a long time. And at my age, I probably wasn't going to go on 40-mile bike rides. I just, But but those e-bikes, now I can do it. I absolutely love them. And they've been out for a little while, but I, I didn't get the first iteration of them. I mean, what happened was, you know, actually my, my sister-in-law and her husband, Ruthie and Kenny, they got them and they said they loved them. And we went out and tried them. I just absolutely love the e-bikes. But I wasn't... I Admittedly, I wasn't the first guy as soon as the first e-bike came off the, the shelf to buy one, but I, I, I found out lots of people use them. They like them. I love mine, and I'm looking forward to doing a lot of bike riding on our e-bike this spring. Chandler in St. Francis. Chandler, you're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, are you in a rush to get this new 5G service? You know, with technology, especially with phone service, I think it's, it's not a fad, but, like, it picks up, and uh, I, it, it, it's not perfected when it first comes out. And there, there'll always be the trendsetters who are like, oh, I need that. I need that in my life. But, right. like, it's, it, I, I, I think it's kind of silly. If you, if you wait a year or whatever it is, not only will no, uh, more networks have it, but it'll also be cheaper on everyone's wallet, too. So, like, if you're one of the people who want to do it and work out the bugs with it, awesome, good for you. But for me, no. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of like well, you see the these all sorts of you see all sorts of examples. I mean, I remember. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when like VHS players first came out, and these things were like a thousand bucks. And and then, but everybody, if you wanted to be the first person to have this, and you could actually record things off a of TV, you you went out, and you dropped the thousand bucks to do it, and you know, and you saw the same thing with like. CD players and Blu-ray disc players and and the giant screen TVs. I remember when those things were. If you wanted a you wanted a sixty-five inch TV set, you'd be paying ten thousand dollars. And now you know you, you can get them sometimes for a few hundred. It's and, and I'm I'm generally willing to wait, like you say, till the price comes down a little bit. Yeah, and it's not only that, but it's a little bit more friendly for a consumer marketplace too. And again, like usually when there's some time with technology, they just have time to work out some of the kinks too. So oh, yeah. you never really know what you're getting into when you first delve into a new technology. Yeah, I mean, thanks. For, no, you're, you're exactly right. And I guess, I mean, part of this is w- when I look at, for example, what I what I use what I use the phone for and what I use that service for. And I guess, would you always like to have blazing fast access to the Internet? Well, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, what I have is is perfectly functional. I mean, it's just absolutely perfectly functional. So, I mean, look, you got to say, I'm the guy. That, that still has, I mean, my, my principal go-to phone is one of the, you know, iPhone 5s, it's like the 5S or something. I actually have a backup that, that that's a bigger screen. I like the one I have. When the battery died uh, last summer, I went out and I was able to replace the battery, and it's perfectly fine. And is the screen smaller? Well, yeah, the screen's smaller, but it does all the things that I need to do, and I like the fact that it's small enough to fit in my front pocket. That That's, I don't see a desire. I, I mean... I guess it would be one of those things where if if would, would I get rid of my Apple iPhone and, and buy a Motorola phone simply because you could get 5G if they rolled out 5G in Milwaukee? Well, the answer is no. I mean, I just I wouldn't spend that money. Now, if 
as as part of a regular phone upgrade, you know, it's just time to get rid of my old phone, and you wanted to go to the latest thing, and they had 5G available, would I be inclined to look at it? Maybe. But I guess I'm just not convinced that what they're going to do with the 5G is going to be enough to make, certainly to make it me go out of my way and spend a bunch of, bunch of money before I need it. Okay, Jeff, I will not be upgrading to 5G, especially for the additional cost. I don't want to pay what I'm already paying, much less pay, you know, more money for that. Um, yeah, you've got that issue there. I, I guess I understand that, again, there's going to be people who are going to want the latest, they're going to want the best, and that's that's all well and good. I'm always inclined to just kind of wait a little bit, especially if I'm satisfied with the performance of what I have. This is obviously, though, going to be the wave of the future at some point in time. So I guess the bottom line is Verizon is rolling out at a little bit early, and you probably, I guess, need to get used to it because it's coming. Hey, John McCure is coming in with Wisconsin's Afternoon News in just a couple minutes. Before that, there were... There were two stories that I just wanted to comment on at, at the end of the program here. First is one that is just I, – I've been holding off on this because until we, we know stuff for certain and we know more, I, I just, I'm hesitant to offer particular comments. But it's this story about this 14-year-old boy who says that, that he was abducted. In 2011, he was last seen in the Wisconsin Dells, and now they, they found him in Ohio, and he was apparently abducted. And his story is he was abducted at the age of six, and he's just gotten away from the kidnappers. It is this bizarre story. His mother apparently committed suicide and left a note saying, don't look for my son. I, I put him with friends. He's safe. But, of course, everybody's been looking. Now the kid says he's gotten away from kidnappers. They're waiting a DNA test. I don't know what to make of this a- at all. There's just so many strange aspects to this particular story. If it really does turn out that this was a kidnapping situation and this is the young man and he's gotten free and the DNA matches him, it, it's going to be just just a tremendous story. But there are, again, all these different questions. How, going back to, you know, okay, that the mother commits suicide, authorities are convinced that this wasn't, wasn't a homicide they're convinced that this was in fact a suicide but where has this kid been for for all these years and was this his first opportunity to escape all these different things it's it's an amazing story and and hopefully it starts with the dna confirming that this young man is who he apparently says he is and then you start to unravel this and figure out where he was but if this turns out to be the case i mean again you're you're looking at another one of these cold cases that it, it really pays for people to continue to, to look and to find them. And, and hopefully we'll have a much better insight on that tomorrow. And once we know a little bit more, we'll open up the phone lines and we'll we'll talk about what this means and what the bigger picture issue is. Also, before we get too far away from last Tuesday's elections, there there was a continuation of a trend to an extent over the last couple years, whenever local school districts have put school spending referendums on the, on the ballot, they, they have passed. They, they almost always pass. Well, on Tuesday, a lot of them passed. But for the first time, you saw voters in at least some school districts that were saying no to spending referendums. And these would be referendums either give us more money so that we can build stuff or 
give us more money so that we can, you know, enhance our operating ability. One of the real interesting referendums came from the Palmyra Eagle School District. So think Waukesha County and Jefferson County. The the school board had gone out and they said, look, here's the deal. We don't have enough money to operate and and we need eleven and a half million dollars just in order to keep the doors open. You know, it we we need this money. We've done everything we possibly can to try to save money and to economize, and we need eleven point five million dollars to just stay open. And if we don't get the eleven point five million, what we're gonna do is we're gonna dissolve. That's it. We have we have no choice. Now, what happens when you dissolve a school district? Well, the the surrounding school districts end up, you know, eating up the the, the existing school districts. So, if Eagle Palmyra dissolves, what happens is, I guess, that the kids get spread and sent to you know the, the neighboring school districts, whether it's two or three or four or five or, or whatever that might be. That's how it works. But that's the way the 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 school board presented. They said, look, this is it. If you say no to us, you know, that's the end of the school district. And interestingly enough, voters in Eagle Palmyra, knowing that at least the claim was we're shutting down they overwhelmingly defeated the referendum. I mean, it was, and it wasn't close. It was 2,224 votes to 1,443. That 60% of the people who chose to vote came out and said no. So not only wasn't this a school referendum that passed, this was a school referendum that got shot down overwhelmingly. And now the, the school district is going back and they're saying, okay, well, you know, we, we told you what was going to happen. We don't know where we're going to go from here, but we understand, you know, what the voters said. Interesting to me that at a time where pretty much voters in every school district decide to give the schools pretty much whatever they want, whenever they want, Eagle Palmyra, they said, look, even if this means shutting this down, we are willing, we are willing to do it. Now the question becomes, will the school board really take that next step? But truth of the matter is, Given what the voters have said, they really don't have a choice. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.